game day game day and most of us know game day you know if you're a football fan it's football going on if you're a baseball fan it's baseball going on right basketball starts here in a week so all three sports will be going at the same time it's just that time of year where it's going to be game day right games are going on if you have your bibles Genesis chapter 41, we start in verse 46. encourage you to, if you have a Bible, or if you have it on your phone, to pull it out and to uh, read along, or read along on the screen. Genesis 41, starting in verse 46, it says this. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted for seven years in the land, it produced bumper or pleasant or overabundant crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. And he piled up huge amounts of grain, like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Verse 53, verse 53. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end, and then the seven years of famine began. And just as Joseph had predicted, the famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, turn to your neighbor and say, eventually. Eventually, however, famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Let's all go to Joseph. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was so severe throughout the land of Egypt. And the people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe throughout the whole entire world. You know, as we pick up in our story today, we see that Joseph gets his very first paying gig. And turn to your neighbor and say, isn't it nice when you get a paying gig? Isn't it nice when you get a paying gig? You know, for a young man, Joseph, we know that he worked for his dad, but how many of us know when you're young and work for dad, you don't get nothing, right? You get, you get to stay in your room, you get to eat a little food. And so Joseph is a young man, he worked for his dad. He was a shepherd, and so he, he continued and was able to eat and live at home. We know that he was sold as a slave, but that wasn't a paying gig. How many of us know if you're a slave, that's not a paying gig? And so he had to become a slave. He was sold as a slave, and he had to work for a man. We know that he was, you know, lied about and put into prison, and there he worked again in prison. Once again, not a paying gig. And so he spent 13 years of his life working for people who um, he did not get any money. Now, he did earn respect because Joseph was a good man. Turn to your neighbor and say, respect's a good thing, right? Respect's a good thing. He didn't, get a, he didn't get a dollar, but he did get respect because every person recognized that this man had the Spirit of God inside of him. But finally, for him, he gets his first paying gig, his first job. I can remember when I was a young teenager, my first paying gig, I actually worked at the village in town here as a food server. And um, one of the craziest, weirdest places to work in all the world. You know, you're on the fourth floor, and you get to serve the lovely people of Hemet who stay there and live there, you know, food. And so it was a very interesting first job. But that was my first paying gig. Joseph, in this story, gets a really high-paid paying gig, his very first job. At 30, at 30, turning over 30 years old. Jeez. It's a long time to wait. 
It's a long time to wait for something. You know, it's a long time to wait for poor Joseph, who had to wait 13 years. Is there anything that we've ever had to wait 13 years for in life? Is there anything in life that we have waited so long for? And for this young man, you know, at 17, God had given him a vision and God had given him a dream. And that very dream and that very vision is something that he held on to, something that he clinged to in his life. And it helped him get through 13 hard years of life. And Joseph... On today, on this very big day, it was his game day, it was his first job. He got everything that he had hoped for, everything that he had dreamed for in his first paying gig. And God is going to answer your prayers as well. Just as it took 13 long years for Joseph, God will answer your prayers. God will move on your behalf. It says that as we move forward in the story that there were seven years of prosperity. And turn to your neighbor and say, don't we like prosperity? Isn't prosperity amazing? It says that there was amazing, full, plenty, so many, so many crops everywhere, that the amount of grain, it was like the sand on the seashore. It was everywhere. Joseph had to collect it. He had to gather it. He had to pile it up. And it says at some point there was so much grain that he lost track. So much goodness. So many amazing things that were happening for Joseph and for Egypt that he could not keep track. Prosperity. Blessing, overflowing, my cup is full. But unfortunately, for the people of Egypt, there's also a famine. And it says the people, it got so nasty that they came all over to buy grain. It was so bad everywhere. People were hungry. They were starving. You know, as the people in Egypt ran out of money, you know what they did? They had to sell their livestock to, the, to Pharaoh. And so just to eat, they came to Joseph and they said, we don't have any more money. We gave it all to you to buy grain. And he said, what do you have? And they said, livestock. So they gave him livestock. When their livestock was gone and when the grain was gone in their, in their household as well, they came back and said, we don't have anything. We don't have nothing. The famine was so bad, it continued to go on. They said, we don't have anything but our land. And so then Joseph took the land of everyone in Egypt and he gave it to the king, Pharaoh. When the land and when their grain ran out again, they said, all we have is our lives. And so they said, we will become slaves of Pharaoh just for some grain. And so in this time of famine, seven years, turn to your neighbor and say, seven years of famine. They gave their money. They gave all their animals. They gave their land. And then they gave themselves because in their minds there was no other way out so they can feed their stomach. And so Joseph to them, he gave them, he gave them seeds to plant. And from then on, one-fifth of all their crops would always go to Pharaoh. And in this story today, there's a couple things that stick out to me really, really bright and very clear. One was Joseph's wisdom. At 30 years old, we see that Joseph was a super wise man. And I want to ask you this morning, as you think about wisdom, as you think about a good sense, as you think about being skillful, as you think about having a good understanding, is that something that just pops into our brain all of a sudden? Now, there's only one man, let's say two men in the story in the Bible that I think that happened, right? And one was King Solomon. How many of us remember the story of King Solomon? God went to King Solomon one night, and, and Solomon was a little bit burdened with the thought of, how do I be a really good king? How do I do this? And so in, a, in prayer and in sense, 
Solomon talking with God, he asked, God says, what is the one thing, if you could have one thing, and Solomon says, I want wisdom, and it said that God made Solomon wise. He became the wisest man alive, and so there was one man, one person who asked for wisdom, and God gave him that wisdom. God made him wise, but for the rest of us, how many of us know that wisdom has come from what? Years of living right? How many of us know that for every one of us in here, we have become wise, and all of us, we're like scholars in here, right? We are, all of us in here, we could write our own book, we have our own story, and how many of us know that we have so many great principles and things that we have gone through? Kind of like Joseph. Joseph, think about Joseph's story and the wisdom that he got over time. The way that he was treated from his family, the way that he was treated from his bosses, the way that he was treated from his boss's family, the way that he was treated in a home, the way that he was treated in prison. Joseph gained so much wisdom by every single situation. Joseph gained so much insight and understanding for every single person that he had to serve and be a slave to. Joseph became wise, and it showed now, how did it show? by the fruit of his labor. We see that in this story, you know, for Joseph in this story, he governed the land of Egypt at 30. How many of us think that's a pretty big job, right? I mean, that's like taking over Hemet, right? Isn't Hemet like glorious like the, like the land of Egypt, right? Joseph at 30, Joseph at 30 years old takes over second in command of all of Egypt. Why? It was the wisdom and the understanding that he had inside of him. Wisdom, to, to Joseph, life was his teacher. Life became his teacher. And so every single thing that he went through, it taught him, it showed him, it gave him. And for many of us in here, life has been our teacher. Life has been our example. Life has been a voice that we have learned, that we have seen. That's why, you know, for my grandma, 94, right? 94 years old? I wonder how many stories that my grandma in 94 years of living, how much wisdom, how many great things could my grandma, she could probably talk for five years straight, I'm sure, of all the wisdom and all the stories that she has learned in her 94 years of living. You know, generationally, how many believers do we know who are 10, 20, 30, 40 years older than us and the wisdom that they have learned over time and over life? That's why, you know, for us, it's important that we surround ourselves with good seasoned believers. It's important to surround ourselves with people who are older so that we can learn from their wisdom. But it's also important to, to surround ourselves with people who are younger so that we can pass our wisdom on to them. And it keeps a good flow between us. Joseph was known by his fruit. Kind of like what Jesus said in Luke 7.33. It says, John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, he eats and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Wisdom is shown by those who 
follow it by their life, by their fruit. And we see the fruit in Joseph's life today because we see he executed famine and prosperity perfectly. He did everything perfectly that he needed to do to save, to preserve not only his people, the, the people in Egypt, but also everyone around them. And he made his boss wealthy and he made his boss rich because his wisdom was speaking loud and clear. How much wisdom do we have this morning? How wise, how much understanding do we have? Proverbs, if you open up the book of Proverbs, it speaks about wisdom, and there's so many great verses about wisdom. Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, a foundation of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And the fear that the, the writer is speaking about, it's not about when you're five and you're afraid of the dark. Most of us know that when we were, you know, between one and five, and if you had older siblings and it was dark and they, you know, would scream at you or they jump out at you, you know, it could freak us out. That's not the fear that the writer is talking about. The fear is having an understanding of God. An understanding of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Wisdom begins, the writer of Proverbs says, when you start to understand who God is. Proverbs 9.10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Again, the writer says, knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Proverbs 1.20, wisdom shouts in the streets. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. Wisdom is screaming everywhere we go. In everything that we do, there is a voice that is called wisdom. And that voice is saying, listen to me. I have something to teach you. Everywhere we go in everything that we do, there's that voice. The writer of Proverbs says it's calling out, listen because I have something to teach you. Proverbs 2, 6, the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. How many of us have ever said in, in 2022, I just don't find as many people who have common sense like they used to, right? How many of us today as we look around, you know, some maybe even some of the younger generations, they just don't have some of the same worth ethic, right? And values and character, it, even common sense. The, it says God grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. It says God guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Proverbs 2.12, wisdom will save you from evil people. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you wise? Are you wise? Because wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Proverbs 9.11, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. How many of us have this godly wisdom? How many of us want to live a long and full life? Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Proverbs 9.12, if you will become wise, you will be the one to benefit. But if you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. You know, how many of us have ever been in a job and as we are learning a job or learning a new job, how many of us have seen, you know, like a new hire and they just don't want to do the work and they just don't want to listen? Proverbs 9.12, if you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. Have you ever tried to give wisdom to somebody that is trying to do their job and they just push you away? They just don't want to listen. Being wise doesn't ever give up on anybody. 
being wise and being a person of understanding, it never gives up. It absolutely never, ever gives up on ourselves and no one. And we have to take that role to be a teacher. As a student as well, to never give up that role of being the student, continue God to teach me. God, every single day, everywhere I go and everything that I do, God, continue to teach me. Waking me every single morning to listen, to listen to the words that you want to teach. But in the same regard, God, help me never to give up to be a teacher as well. Proverbs 13, 10 says this, pride leads to conflict, and those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 14, 8, the prudent understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. The wise understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. We have so many people in our world today who are utterly deceived. They think they know what they're going. They think they know what they're doing. They think they know what they have, and they don't because they don't really understand God. And it reminds me of Genesis 3, 6. How many of us know this? It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so Eve took the fruit and ate. From the very, very, very beginning, Eve wanted what? Wisdom. And she thought that eating this apple, eating this fruit was going to give her the wisdom that she had that she wanted it looked so attractive what was it knowledge and wisdom and so how many people just like eve and just like adam will chase after something that seems like it'll make us so wise but it doesn't at all right as we know that eve and adam paid for that the second thing in this story today that stuck out to me tell your neighbor is the number seven the number seven the lucky, the lucky winner number for uh, the lotto today, seven. You know, we know that the number seven means complete. It means per perfect and full. And so in this story, there were seven years of famine and there were seven years of prosperity. The number seven, prosperity, famine. And you think about that, if there's seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine, but the number means complete, full, and perfect, why, how, would, how, does famine, how does famine be complete? How is famine anything perfect? Perfect. How does famine, how does it bring about anything that's full? And I'm glad you asked because we're going to get there. You know, the number seven is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible. God created the earth and everything in it in six days, right? And we know on the seventh day, turn to your neighbor and say seventh day, what did God do? He rested right? God created the earth and everything in it. Six days, seventh day he rested. Jesus on the cross before he dies, while he was nailed on the cross, guess how many statements he made? Seven statements. Luke 23, 34, Father forgive them. Father forgive them. As he was suffering, as he was bleeding out on the cross, what are the things that he say? And as he makes seven statements, Father, forgive them. Jesus replies to, the, to the, one of the thieves. He goes, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. You know, one of the greatest things that we see in God and one of the greatest things we see in Jesus Christ, he was nailed to a cross and he had two men next to him. There was one man who was bitter, he was angry, he was hard-hearted, but there was another man who sat there and he was interested and he was curious 
And as he's looking at Jesus, and he's asking, and he's thinking, and he's wondering, Jesus turns to this man who lived his whole life in a manner that was not good. But one man in one moment with a little repentance who's ready to give his heart over, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That is the best news ever. God can forgive someone who's lived a horrible life for 30 years, 40 years. God can replace any heart and any mind and any soul in any second. God is so gracious and God is so forgiving that on this moment, as he's dying, he takes the time. And he could have been in pain. And he, Jesus could have been so, so much in pain that that's all that he dwelt on. So he could have been a little depressed, and that could be all that he wanted to dwell on. But in the moment where Jesus was suffering, what did he do? He still took time to forgive someone and let him know that today you will be with me in paradise. The grace of our God that can erase all sins in one second. Jesus shouted, Father, I trust my spirit into your hands. We know that he said, it is finished. He said to his mom, he said, standing next to the disciple that he loved, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he also asked God, why did you abandon me? Why did you abandon me? Seven statements as he was nailed to the cross. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, as he teaches how to pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us today the food that we need. Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. There is how many petitions in prayer here? Seven. Seven descriptions of Jesus as he describes himself. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection of life, the way, the truth, the life, and the vine. Seven descriptions of himself. One of the prophets one time, he was healing somebody. And he tells them, go get in the water seven times and then you will be healed. There is seven. The number seven is in healing. We know that um, Jesus healed seven people on seven Sabbath days. Seven different people on seven different Sabbath days. We know that how many of us like the rainbow? It's a beautiful thing that God created. How many colors are in a rainbow? Seven. How many of us have ever heard of the story Jericho? And God tells the Israelites to walk around the city once, one circle, one time, six days. On the seventh day, you walk around seven times. On the seventh day, seven priests blowing trumpets. We know in the very last book of Revelations, there's seven letters, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven angels, and seven bowls. The number seven, perfect, complete, and full. And so in our story today, that stuck out so loud and so bright to me that the number seven, but where, where does famine look perfect? Where does famine ever, how does it accomplish anything that is ever good? The number seven that is so perfect and is so good, the number of completeness, the day of rest, all those things. I just listed like 20 different things in the Bible. It's mentioned over 700 times. The number seven, really, really, really important. You know what's interesting in this story? There was a difference between prosperity and the famine story. How many of us noticed that when, when they mention prosperity, it only mentions Egypt as being the country that prospered? 
as it goes into famine, it mentioned every single other country also went through famine. And it kind of reminded me how many of us sometimes when we're blessed, like Egypt, what do we do with that? We hold tight to the blessing. You know, it's like there are certain things that I love to eat and seize candy is one of them. And so if my daughter ever goes and gets me chocolate caramel um, from Seas Candy, I grab that and I hold it and that is my chocolate. And if I don't want to eat the three pieces that my daughter picks up for me, I will take it and I'll put it in a baggie and then I hide it somewhere, usually behind a printer somewhere on a shelf, which I'm not going to give this exact location to, but, <laughs> and I put it over there because that chocolate is important to me. Sometimes, as we see in this story, what stuck out to me, prosperity is mentioned for Egypt, but it's not mentioned for anywhere else. Famine in the story mentioned in Egypt, but it also says everywhere else was affected by famine. What happens? Proverbs 11:24: give freely and you become more wealthy. Be stingy and you lose everything. Thing. Give freely, become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Egypt in the story was prosperous. And sometimes as people, when we get prosperity, our natural inclination is to what? I'm going to hold it tight. I'm going to give it. I'm going to gather it. I'm going to pile it. I'm going to store it up. And then I'm going to hold on to it. But no matter what we do and no matter what we think, one of the things that God wants to remind us from this story, don't be like Egypt. They used it as a moneymaker, and yes, it was wise, there was a plan, they prepared, but no matter where we are, no matter what, where we do, God wants us to be giving people. Giving reflects our maker. God wants us to take care of the poor. God wants to take care of the needy. God wants to use us even if we do not have that much, whatever we have, to help people. God has put us here on the earth. And one of the greatest ways that we can reflect him is by giving. Is by giving. Turn to your neighbor and say giving. So my title today was called Game Day. Turn to your neighbor and say Game Day. Yes. If any of us have been involved in sports, you would know that there is a big difference between game day and practice day. In practice, 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 there are so many people who shine in practice. And man, they are so good and they are so talented in practice. They're hitting threes, like 20, 30 threes in practice. It's amazing. They look so good. But all of a sudden, when it's game day, and the lights are on, and people are staring at you, there's a different outcome. On game day, men who are professional athletes, women who are professional athletes, there is a different performance level on game day compared to practice. I can't tell you how many times, if you listen to sports, you listen to commentators, they will tell you, oh my gosh, the kicker, kicker looks so good in practice. He was nailing, you know, 60-yard field goals. When you're, when you're watching basketball, they will tell you, man, I watched this kid hit 15 three-pointers, and he didn't make one shot in the game. There is such a massive difference between how we live, how we practice, and then when it really, really matters. And it's kind of like this. Joseph in the story, he had 30 years to kind of practice life. 
But when life really mattered, he stepped up to the big game. When life really mattered, he stepped up to the big job that he had to do. Kind of like as Christians, if we were to talk about ourselves for a minute, how many of us know people and Christians who can talk a great game? How many of us, we know Christians who can put on a great game and a great show. We can go on TikTok and we can go on here and we can go on there and we can quote 35 million different scriptures. But when it comes to simple things in the Bible where God's saying, wait a second, I want you to be a person who forgives. Ah, it's so much easier to talk about God than to do what he says. Game day, and for Joseph, and for us this morning, is a place that God wants you to live and thrive in the big moments of your life, living and being obedient and doing what he's called us to do. Now, that doesn't mean, for one second, that we're all just 100% perfect, because none of us are, right? Other than my grandma. That doesn't mean that none of us, and that doesn't mean that we look at each other's faults and say, hey, you're slipping here, you're slipping there. Because how many of us know that looking within ourselves, there's enough to worry about, right? If we all were to take a look within and things that we struggle with and things that we deal with, there is enough in us to be worried and consumed with. So we don't need to point out other people's stuff. But God is saying as believers today, like Joseph, he needs us in this day, in 2022, as we move into 2023, it is time to live game day. It's time to step up to the big game. It is time to let people know what I do everywhere I go, I'm going to live. I'm not only going to talk about God, but I'm going to show you God. I'm not only going to talk about God, but I'm going to give God to you. Everywhere I go and everything that I am and everything that is within me, it is time to not let nerves, to not let anxiety, to not let insecurity, to not let fear, to not let anything stop or get in the way of what God has put me here to do. Because when you can be a person who's really good and really talented in practice, but when the lights turn on and you can't perform, fear and anxiety got the best, right? And how many Christians today, fear and anxiety are getting the best? There are so many things we could be afraid of. You know, how many times have we talked about this could be the end, right? And it's a scary thought to think that we're living in the last days. Now, we could let our minds dwell there, or we can turn around and say, hey, if it's the end, that means it's only getting closer. That means, hey, I got a short window to help as many people as I can. We can look at it, the glass is half empty or half full right? There is always two ways to think about things. We can be stuck in famine in our mind, or we can be stuck in prosperity. We can be stuck thinking about negativity, or we can look at it and say, the end is coming. The end is coming. This is great. This is awesome. This is so powerful. I get to be a part of the end. If truly these are the last days that we're living in, you know what that means? If these are the last days, Wow, that means God wanted you to be alive for the last part of this story. Wow. God picked me. God picked you. God picked us. To think about, instead of thinking about the world's going to come to an end and maybe we have to go to prison and maybe there's going to be, you know, horrible wars and a lot of people being killed, we can dwell on all the horrible things that are going to happen at the end. Or we can turn around and say, you know what? God picked me to be a part of this part of his story. He picked me. 
and he picked you. He chose you to be a part of this. Today is game day. It's a game changer. Everywhere that we go and everything that we do to put into actions what he's called us to do. We know that his half-brother... Uh, James said this about it. He says, James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show up by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a nice day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'm gonna show you my faith by what I do. It's not enough today to tell people we love them. We have to show them. And again, that doesn't mean that we're gonna be 100% perfect at that all the time. There's gonna be people who frustrate us, right? There's going to get people who get under, get into our nerves, and we want to strangle somebody, right? But no matter what we do, at the end of the day, we have to remind ourselves, if God wants me to love, if God is love, then I have to be loved everywhere I go and everything that I do. And I can't just say God loves you. I need to show God loves you. God said forgive. How many times? A lot. 490 times, which in his mind means forever and eternity. And so the next time someone really frustrates you, what are you, what are you supposed to do immediately? Forgive and forget. And how many of us can think of someone, and eh, we're not going to go there because none of us are like that. So as we close and we start to wrap up this morning, a couple things that really stuck out. You know, in this story, we know that God's ways are much higher than Joseph's ways. We know and we've learned in our lives, how many of us, that God's ways are higher than our own. Because I look at Joseph this morning and I see, I don't think he would pick the life that he had to live. I don't know if he would be, you know, he would pick to be picked on by his brothers. Of course, that happens in every family, right? I don't know if he would choose to be sold and thrown into a pit by his brothers. I don't know if he would choose to be sold as a slave. I don't know if he would choose to go to prison. I don't know if he would choose to spend 13 years away from his dad who spoiled the heck out of him. I don't know if he would choose that. He didn't choose it, but you know who did? God did. And God chose those things for him and so that he could save people in the future. God chose, unfortunately, a hard path for Joseph and so that he could save people's lives. God's ways, Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so we see that as we close today and wrap up and we start putting some thoughts together, for Joseph, everything started to make sense and everything becomes super clear to him, understanding, well, God's ways are higher than my ways. And how many situations that we go through on a daily basis does God have to re remind us, my ways and my thoughts, they're higher than yours. Be patient. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep looking. Keep waiting. Keep seeking. Keep praying. And those are the hardest things to tell someone who's going through a hard time, right? Because it's like, how many of us know 
we want answered prayers just like we go through Starbucks. They make drinks in about 30 seconds, and you get your chocolate cream cold brew, which tastes just like chocolate ice cream, and it is delightful and wonderful and amazing in that. In 30 seconds, right? And sometimes we want to answer prayers in the same amount of time. God, I'm praying, and I need it now. God's ways, God's thoughts are much higher than ours. And remind yourself, every situation, everything that we go through, God's thoughts and his ways, they're higher than mine. And he has a plan for me in this. God has a plan for me here. He's got a plan for me there. He's got a plan. God is moving. Even though I don't see what God's doing, God is moving. Even though I don't, I don't see the fruit in this situation, in my kids, and in this, and in this over here, God is still moving. Even though I don't see certain fruit, maybe in even my own life, I know that God is still moving. And secondly, how many of us know... There's a number that is related to man, and that is six. There's a number related that is closer to God than six, and that is what? Seven. Man's number is six. God's number is seven. What was the number that we studied today? It's seven. We as people are born incomplete, but when we meet the one who is complete, Jesus Christ, we start to become complete from the inside out. We know in Colossians 1.15, it says this, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, and he existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus Christ and for him. Jesus existed before everything, and he holds everything together. How do I become a complete person? How does my family become a complete person? How do my friends, how do strangers, how does this town? The only way is to have a run-in with the number seven. And it speaks of Jesus Christ because it's his creation. It was created for him, right, by him. It was created by and for Jesus Christ, who holds all things together. We're born as the number six, the number of man, the number of woman, right? But when you meet number seven, that's when things start to fall in place and become complete in our lives. God's number seven is perfect. And so as we, we look at this story and we close with this last thought, I asked you, the difference between prosperity and famine, and none of us in here would think if you there were seven years of famine that that would be perfect, that would be whole, that would, any of us wouldn't describe famine as anything good or positive, right? But it was a famine that God used to what? Once again, complete and make perfect his plan, not only for Joseph, but now who for? The rest of his family. And so God used seven years of famine Seven long years of famine to what? Bring Joseph's family to Egypt. And it says while they're in Egypt, this small family, there's like 70. They grow over to a million people. They're like little bunny rabbits. You sprinkled water on them and they just grew rapidly. It was crazy. But God had a, pr a plan. God had a purpose for them. And what did he use as the vessel to get them there? He used famine. In our minds, there are so many unpretty things that we go through in life. But is it the vessel and the message of something that God is trying to get through to you? Is there? We know and we appreciate 
prosperity. And God does want you to prosper. This morning we're getting ready to close, wrap up, and pray. So go ahead and close your eyes if you want to, or you can keep your eyes open if you want to as well. And so this morning as we get ready to pray and we get ready to wrap up, so many great things in this story, so many amazing thoughts, so many things to step away from. But as we do, the two biggest things were Joseph was wise, and it's his wisdom. It was his wisdom that carried the people of Egypt through and all the surrounding countries. How wise are we this morning? Joseph let circumstances be his teacher. What are you letting teach you? What is the thing that is teaching you and guiding you and shaping you and molding you? What is the loudest voice in your heart, mind, and soul? What is the thing that guides you every single morning, every single day? What is the voice that is called your teacher? And so for Joseph, we knew that God was his teacher. God was his mentor. Life, circumstances, and he used it to become a better man. Let everything in your life, let it be a lesson to make you better, to make your character stronger, to make your faith stronger, to allow your faith to grow, to allow your faith to just, just explode. Let every single thing that we go through and everything that we see, like Joseph in the story, who allowed life and wisdom to be everything that he was. And secondly, there is so much power in the name of seven. So many of us sometimes we're missing something. We're missing an ingredient. There's something that is missing. There's something that just doesn't seem right. It's because we're not born right. We're not born with every single thing that we need. But when we get Jesus into every area of our life, yes, we are complete and whole. And so this morning with your eyes closed and heads bowed, you know, no matter how easy it is to talk about God and love and forgiveness and I love you, you're the best in the whole wide west, there's so many things that we say all the time and there's so many bumper stickers and there's so many quotes that we get off, you know, the internet and off Google and we, when we can be positive and we can be cheerful and we can be eee. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, the real question is, are we obeying and being obedient? Is the fruit of our actions, is it obedience to God's word? And we're not perfect. None of us are. But are we doing our best to obey what he's put us here to do? Let your life actions speak. Do whatever you can as you read the word to understand this is what God wants me to obey. God, there's an area over here in my life I'm not so good at. God, I want you to come into this part of my life as well. God, come into every part of my life. God, that I may be complete and whole and lacking nothing. God, where there's fear. God, where there's insecurity. God, where there's anxiety. God, there's worry about tomorrow. Worry about finances and worry about this. Where there's stress where there's hate, where there's anger, God, where there's bitterness, where there's resentment, God, where there's guilt. How many things in our lives and in lives of those of the people we know holding and clinging to something that is honestly holding us back? And so with your eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, if there's any part of your life that you have not fully given to God, just close your eyes and say, Jesus, I give you my entire life. God, I give you this life. I give you this part of my life. I give you and I offer up everything that is within me. If there's somebody I hate, God, I'm giving that person to you now. I'm giving you the hate. I don't want to be hateful anymore. God, I don't want to be bitter anymore. God, I don't want to be afraid anymore. God, take away this anxiety and this insecurity that I have in this certain area of my life. God, I just give you everything this morning. 
God, I give you everything. Be made complete in me. Be made strong in the weak areas of my life. Where I'm weak, God, you are strong. Where I'm weak, God, you are strong. Be strong in me. God, we give you this day. We give you all of our friends. We give you all of our family members, all of our kids. God, we pray that you would protect us, that you would go before us this week. God, that you would truly watch over us. God, help us to have the faith to believe that you, yes, you still do miracles. Help us have the faith to believe, God, in, in the great things that are ahead. God, help us to have the patience and the endurance, God, for what you want to do in these last days. God, help us to look these last days with excitement and joy that you have called us to be a part of your story. God, as we continue to live and we continue to move and we continue to seek you, God, do something great, God, for your name in us. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen.